Next Chapter Podcasts. Hello, darlings. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a very happy Valentine's Day celebrating with somebody you love or lust for. And if you were alone, well, congratulations. You survived another full siege bombardment of roses, cheap champagne, edible undies, and overpriced prefix menus. Remember, love is a battlefield. So before another year passes and you find yourself ducking for cover once again in the face of the greeting card industry's annual onslaught, how about some reinforcements? We're calling in for help with that advice columnist Dan Savage for one more tour of active duty to help you arm yourself for the fight. I come from a product of divorce. My dad's been married three times. I have a hard time getting behind the idea of marriage. Like, how can I promise to love somebody forever if I've never loved somebody forever? Well, here's what marriage does. And I've been married a long time. It makes leaving harder, right? Obviously, your dad managed to divorce three times. It doesn't make leaving impossible. But it does give you pause. And sometimes that pause your relationship may be in a dire place and you think it's not going to come back or there won't be an upswing, but you hesitate to divorce because of the chaos, the expense. And then a year later, things are a lot better. And you're like, well, I'm glad it wasn't so easy to walk away because I wouldn't, because I would have walked away. You know, I talk, I talk to me and Terry, how long we've been together. We have been in couples counseling. We have both screamed divorce at each other in like knockdown drag out fights that I'm sure Alexa recorded in our kitchen. <laughs> we have been through it. And marriage can be stabilizing at those terrible moments. Because it's not just I hate you and I want to divorce you. It's like, do I do I want to call a lawyer? Do I want to actually break this house up? Everything else we mean to each other. And in that hesitation, sometimes you you know you hesitate and then you're like, yep, I want to do all those things. I need to do that. Divorce is the only answer. This is an emotionally abusive or physically abusive relationship, or it's run its course. You know, sometimes we talk about relationships. They're the only thing we talk about that if two people get out of it alive, it failed. Like that's not the standard for airline travel or cars or restaurants. Like <laughs> two, they they went to that restaurant, they both got out alive. That restaurant failed. Like you can, two people can emerge from a relationship and it can have been a success. Like they had a good time together. They grew, learned and grew together. They, you know, maybe it was awkward and they couldn't be around each other for a while, but eventually they were able to circle back and be kind to each other. Like if they're kids and they co-parented well together and they had a rapport and they now have a friendship. Like how do we, that is a successful relationship even if the marriage ended. Yeah, I, I get it. Like a lot of what you're saying sounds like it revolves around the language around romance, sex, dating, marriage. But now we have a lot of like modern slang that Gen Z uses. Ghosting, body count, icks. <laughs> love bombing. Love bombing. So are these terms new ideas or are they, have they always been around and now we just have words for them? Well, it's always, you know, people have been disappearing on people forever. Ghosting's not new. It's just an evocative term for it. Um, ghosting is more frustrating now because you can, we have the receipts. Um, you send somebody that you've been texting with and hanging out with and hooking up with and feeling like you're dating a text and you see that they read it and they never respond ever again. And you're like, what was, what the fuck happened? You can see they read it. You know, back in the day, you called somebody and 
the phone never picked up at their house and you never heard from them again. And you're like, maybe they're dead. Maybe the son of Sam got them. Maybe the Zodiac killer got them <laughs> or Jeffrey Dahmer got them. And you just kind of got on with it. You didn't have this thing in your hand where you could see their Instagram and you could see their text messages and you could see their new partner on their Instagram. And you're like, the fuck? But, you know, if we want to live in a world where when someone's done with us, they have the decency to say so, so don't leave us hanging or wondering, we have to not argue with people when they tell us they're done. Like a lot of people feel like they'd rather ghost because they've gotten into arguments when they wanted to end things, where they've gotten blown up at. If somebody doesn't ghost you, they do you the courtesy of letting you know that like it ran its course for them. Don't scream at them. Like they didn't ghost. Give them like a little bit of credit and say, thank you. I had a good time too. I'm bummed. I would have liked to have seen you again. And you know, if you feel differently in a year or two and I'm still single, when you give me a shout, I will sit on your dick again. <laughs> but thank you for telling me and not leaving me hanging. Words to live by. But do you think... We, I mean, we have all the tools, but it seems like we haven't evolved yet. Like we just, our brains aren't there. 15 years, right? We've had social media and like tech. How, when did the iPhone come along? It feels like it's always been in my right hand. Right. Doing a podcast interview with you, my phone is sitting beside me upside down and I'm tense. So I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I haven't looked at Twitter or my text messages or my signal or my WhatsApp. Like what could be happening? The whole world could be on fire. That is one of my greatest fears that like my parents will be dying. They'll be on their deathbed and my phone will go off and I'll be like, oh wait, I have to check this. Yes, yes. You want to know how powerful sex is? This is another thing like, I think people need to always think of or get into their heads. We, we tell kids you're going to grow up and have sex one day. The reality is you grow up and sex has you. Like sex is more powerful than we are. Sex built us. Um, spontaneous mutation, uh, evolution. Sex created us and it's creating whatever is going to come after us. Sex is 500 billion years old. And our species is 300,000 years old. And we pretend we're in charge of sex, which is crazy. Sex is in charge of us. And if we can understand that and then channel our sexual desires in a way, like, and acknowledge the power of it, it can't be dammed up. It can only be like channeled. You know, you have to, if the pressure builds up behind a dam, it's going to collapse. That's when you see people get involved in sex scandals. You see like closeted TV preachers get caught with rent boys because they were damming it up. They were in denial about how powerful. I also think nobody's goal should be cheating, but I do think that it is the one thing in society that we have all agreed is the worst thing you can do to somebody. Carrie Underwood wrote a hit song about it that we all love singing. What we should tell people is if you're with somebody 60 years and they only cheated on you once or twice, they were good at monogamy. Not bad at it. Monogamy is the only thing where if you ever make a mistake ever, you were terrible at it. No credit for time served. No credit for the, the other kinds of ways we demonstrate to our partners our commitment and our faithfulness. Oh, he touched somebody else with his dick? He never loved her. That's insane. insane. That makes sex too important. Yeah. And so I am the one sex advice monkey on the planet who will tell people to go ahead and cheat sometimes that I think cheating can be the least worst option for all involved. Um, you know, when you talk about cheating, people think, oh, people are in love and 
he cheated or she cheated and it was a terrible betrayal. The reality is when you get the questions about cheating, we've been together for 20 years. We have two special needs kids. We are financially dependent on each other. We haven't had sex for a decade. I did everything. Couples counseling, honest conversations, you know, smelled my own shit, like started acting differently, helping out more around the house. Nothing has changed. And I don't think it'll ever change. I don't think we'll ever have a sexual connection again. What should I do? It's like, oh, you should get a divorce, traumatize your children, impoverish your spouse and yourself by trying to maintain two separate households because getting a divorce before you have sex with somebody else is the right thing to do. I look at that situation and I go, get sex discreetly elsewhere. Be conscientious and careful. Don't embarrass or humiliate your partner. Don't fuck her sister or her friends or a coworker that's going to blow up on you. But like, go find it elsewhere. And in that circumstance, you know, you worked on it, you tried, your partner isn't interested. You're not cheating them. You're not cheating because you're not cheating out of, out of anything that they want. And I'm an institutionalist when it comes to relationships. I look at a marriage and I see, you know, you see sex, you see connection, kids, family, a household, uh, an interwoven community of in-laws and friends and neighbors, a history together, a house like my house full of crap. And I look at that and think all of that matters more and has to matter and weighs more than a hand job at a massage parlor. If he needs a hand job at the massage parlor or she needs to like hook up with somebody on a business trip to feel alive and to, to have a sexual experience and then go home to all of the rest of that and regard that as important. I think that's the right fucking thing to do. It's the rom-com that hasn't been made yet, but needs to be made. Yeah. There've been some like portrayals of like long-term relationships where there was some cheating and there was tolerance for it or forgiveness of it, or, you know, everybody kind of intuits it. But you're not allowed to say it. Like every time anybody writes me and they describe a circumstance, I'm like, cheating is the right thing to do. You should get, you should get some on the side. People blow up at me, and like I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. Cheating is the least worst option. Sometimes I'm not signing off on serial adultery. You know, if your husband got a hand job on a business trip, 25 years into your marriage, maybe you could look past or just ignore it or not think about it. If your husband fucked your sister on your wedding night, you're not going to be able to forgive or get past that, right? That's unforgivable. That's a betrayal that cuts to the core of what that relationship is supposed to mean. 25 years into the relationship, the hand job and the business trip doesn't negate everything else that marriage has become over time. I'm really frustrated by people who say, you know, if the relationship is sexless, sex is so trivial and unimportant you shouldn't do it with anybody else. But sex is so important, you can't do it with anybody else. It's so trivial, you shouldn't miss it. And it's so important that it would be an unforgivable portrayal if you did it with somebody who wanted to fuck you. And that to me just seems irreconcilable. That seems bananas. Yeah, got to pick a lane with that one. That's really great. Yep. Yep. I got a letter once from a guy whose wife, birth, two kids, like stress, postpartum depression, just she was done with sex and he was facing, he was miserable. And he got, he found a woman in a very similar circumstance whose husband was done with sex. They had an affair for four years. 
and suddenly his wife's libido returned, he ended the affair and like resumed being intimate and sexual with his wife after testing. He waited three months. Like they talked about it. He, t- he didn't talk about the affair. He never told her. That affair saved that marriage. When an affair destroys a marriage, we hear about it. Oh, they're getting divorced. He cheated. Or they had a three-way and everything fell apart. When an affair saves a marriage or a three-way enhances a relationship and revives a relationship, we don't hear about that in straight land. Gay people won't shut up about the crazy shit they get up to with their friends. A straight couple where the husband cheated for four years and the wife found out and they forgave and got past it and didn't divorce, she didn't tell her mom. She didn't tell her friends, her coworkers. She didn't tell anybody. And so we have this distorted view of what affairs do. Affairs are always, they lay waste to everything. And I get the emails, the anonymous emails and calls that prove that sometimes affairs save relationships. I love what you're saying because I have this conversation a lot and it's something that I'm kind of working on my stand-up. Like, whether we're talking about technology, public health, morals, sex, we always think that we're at the peak of society, but I actually think we're at the dawn of it because- Well, we're we're at the dawn of incorporating these technologies into this 500 billion year old thing that is sex Mm -hmm. and that is very powerful. We have this new- technology that has sort of supercharged some aspects of what sex is and what is possible, including, you know, people used to marry. I just interviewed Damona Hoffman about her new book, F the Fairy Tale, where she points out that like in 1932, the overwhelming majority of marriage licenses were issued to people who lived within five blocks of each other already before they met. Right. <laughs> the internet has now if made I have it to marry my neighbors <laughs> for people to meet people on the other side of the world. Um, I'm Polly. Our relationship is open. My husband has a boyfriend um, who lives with us. The first thing I did this morning was make breakfast for my husband's boyfriend as we hung out in the kitchen. Like it's a functional kitchen table polyamory kind of relationship. My boyfriend is from a tiny village in the mountains in Austria. And if it wasn't for the internet, I never would have met him. Does he have cell reception out there? (laughs) <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, you do. Like it's a it's a real country. Um, it's a real tiny country. It's in, it's easy to get cell reception uh, all put in all over Austria, and they have. Um, and I, you know, I, I joke about like my whole dating romantic life predates the internet. Well, one part of it doesn't. Like I understand how powerful and good internet dating can be because it brought my boyfriend, who pre-internet I never would have learned of his existence. There was no way. And, and that's complicating the paradox of choice. There's studies that show if you send somebody into a supermarket and you tell them to pick out mustard and there's five mustards to choose from, they'll pick one and they'll leave. And they'll send somebody in the supermarket and say, get a mustard and they'll have a mustard aisle with 500 mustards in it. And they look at all the mustards and they leave without a mustard because they can't choose. Because they don't, they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to choose the wrong one. And that's kind of what internet, you know, dating apps, have brought to us is that paradox of choice where, you know, even if you're in good working order, you're out there, you want a date, you want a relationship, like you face the 500 jars of mustard on Tinder or Hinge or Bumble, and you sit there on your couch all night and you never pick one. Subscribe, rate, and review Indecent with Kiki Anderson wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the show at Indecent Kiki on Instagram. Follow me at It's Kiki Anderson. Email the show at IndecentThePod at gmail.com. And come back next week for more Indecent, where NSFW meets LMAO.
Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Next chapter podcasts.